Welcome to Famous Lost Words, where we find classic interviews in the archives and play the very best parts for you. I'm Christopher Ward with my partner, Tom Jokic. Christopher, have you ever missed out on an interview? In oh, other yeah. words, missed an opportunity? Yeah. Okay, tell me about that. <laughs> well, I mean, when, when the interviews were doled out at Much Music, there was a lot of scrambling for people trying to grab certain ones of artists that they loved or just felt would be a great interview subject. There were a couple that Erica got that I was really kind of jealous of, you know? <laughs> One of them was Chrissy Hind. Yes. And I think it was because I thought, well, Chrissy is so cranky that this is not going to be pretty the way it ends. And Erica killed it. She did a great job. Yes. She did a better job than I would have done. Yeah. She was fantastic. She did have that ability to kind of disarm people. She did. And relax them. She did that, I think, with Duran Duran and with you, too. Well, definitely with Duran. Yeah. I mean, by the end of the interview, she and Chrissy were, were joking around for the photo shoot. And I mean, it was just, you know. But the other one, Bo Diddley. Really? Yeah, I wanted that one. Oh, man. And can, is there a story behind that? No, I just didn't get it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you one for me. So... This was right at the beginning of Christine Aguilar's career. So I'm thinking 99, 2000, right? And um, they say, Tom, you have an interview with Christine Aguilar downtown Toronto. Well, I'm working downtown Toronto, so that should not be a problem. However, I find out that one of my kids at school has some sort of issue. I can't even remember what it is, and it kind of needs to be fixed right away. And it's like 9.30 in the morning, my interview with Christina is at 11.30, back downtown, okay? So I drive all the way home, which is about a 35, 40-minute drive. Then I resolve the situation and turn around. As I'm driving downtown, I'm going, I don't have the tape deck. I have nothing to record on, right? (laughs) So I call ahead and say to one of my uh, coworkers, Sue, at the station, Sue, can you get the tape deck down to the Sutton Place Hotel And, and meet me in the lobby. She said, I'll send it down with a cab. And then she messages me or calls me because we weren't texting at that point. It'll be there. Great. So I rush in. I make it kind of just in time. I'm probably like five minutes late. So I'm a little bit scattered and a little bit, you know, worried that I'm going to miss it. I get there. I open up the tape deck. There's no tape. (laughs) So at that point, it's too late. I'm telling the record company guy and the guy said, no, we, we just can't wait for you. Like we... They may have even put me off till the very end because they knew that I was running late. Right. And just because I had to go north and look after a situation at home, I missed that Christine Aguilera interview. And not only that, but the station did too, right? We never got the Christine interview. Isn't and that was, why we haven't featured her on our show? That's absolutely right. And I, re- I <laughs> regret it to this day because it was like she was huge in the moment. And we this missed it because of me. moment? Yeah, Genie in a Bottle, What a Girl Wants. So first album. That's right. Oops. <laughs> okay, let's talk about this week's show. First of all, a 2005 interview with Madonna. And this one is pretty interesting because Madonna is predictably smart and passionate about her music, but she can also be a bit cranky. I'll explain more about that in a minute. Then a wonderful 80s interview with Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, 
who you just mentioned a minute ago, Christopher. Chrissy talks about the influences of the 60s on her music. She also discusses how motherhood affected her life and much, much more. An amazing chat with the great pretender. Also, we have some weird and wonderful clips from the legendary Frank Zappa. I believe these are from the early 70s. Frank is both strongly opinionated and very, very clever in these. And Christopher has been waiting a long time to play these clips for you. And we finish off the show as Christopher and I go toe-to-toe as we try to stump each other in TJ versus the VJ. It's going to be a lively one. Let's get started with Madonna. From 1990, that's Vogue and Madonna. Madonna released her 10th album, Confessions on the Dance Floor, in 2005. It was for the most part a buoyantly upbeat record sequenced like a DJ set with no spaces between the tracks. The album was in direct contrast to the previous release, American Life, which Madonna has characterized as an angry record, her reaction to what was going on in the country at the time. Right. Now, the public response was overwhelmingly favorable to this record, and it became one of her biggest albums ever, selling over 10 million copies. She worked with a DJ named Stuart Price, and she referenced pop acts who'd crossed over to dance like Donna Summer, the Bee Gees, and the Pet Shop Boys, as well as the mighty ABBA. Right. In this interview with Mae Potts, Madonna does her usual mix of candor and deflection as she talks about her legacy, (laughs) her kids, and why dance music doesn't have to be frivolous. Well, I had a chance to listen to the CD yesterday, which was great. Here, I'll take that from you. Really enjoyed it, and I thought, yeah, dance record. It's been a long time since we've had something so fun. Mm -hmm. Yet, I couldn't help but notice some dark undertones, especially when we're listening to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And um, it was pointed out to me that uh, even the imagery and some of the tone of it was sort of reminiscent, perhaps, of what was associated with Studio 54. Really? Yeah, and I'm just wondering whether you consciously went into it thinking, okay, I want to make a fun dance record, but not too frivolous. Well, I, I said I wanted to make a fun dance dance record, but I think I would like to get rid of the um, the stereotype that you know dance music has to be about nothing. So I think that's why I called it Confessions on a Dance Floor, because I wanted it to be, um, I wanted the lyrics to be real, and um, and I didn't want it all to be fluff. Right. So. Confessions and Secrets, which is, you know, sort of being alluded to with uh, the documentary yeah. as well, all has a connotation, though, of something a little bit more darker. Really? That's not how I look at it. No? Mm-mm. No, I just, I think it's all, it's, to me, it's all, if I've called my record Confessions on a Dance Floor, I've called uh, my film I'm Going to Tell You a Secret, and I obviously have some things I want to share with people. I don't think they're dark. Okay. No. Um when we're talking about uh, the club scene and, and making a dance record, how how plugged in are you nowadays with that whole club scene? Do you still get out at all into it? Oh, well, I don't go out that often just because um, if people found out that I was dancing in a nightclub, I wouldn't be left alone. Uh, and also, I have to get up early. But fortunately, I'm working right now with a DJ, Stuart Price, um, my co-writer and co-producer. And that is sort of like my in because he goes to the clubs for me and he does all the dirty work and he plays um, the music in, you know, in a raw state, dub versions. Um, and he also gets to see what works and doesn't work, what people are listening to. And it's, it's, you know, I can keep saying to him rather than having to guess, would you play this in a club? 
Yeah. Would you, because he's a DJ, would you, would you use, would you play this in your set? Would you, and that's how I gauged everything. And he, did he test run some of the stuff out there? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Everything. Oh, that captures Madonna to a T. Very direct, very unapologetic, but also so contrary. You know, I heard this interview when May first did it more than 15 years ago, and I did not like it, right? It kind of made me a little bit cranky. I think one of the reasons was is because I needed to create a 60-minute special based on this interview. Oh. And because she kind of disagreed quite a bit with, with what May said, it, it just wasn't conducive to a great special. It'd be no fun for an editor. No. But when I finally listened again a few days ago, I went, you know what? There is some good stuff in this interview, which is why we're playing it. And I finally saw the value of doing so. And also, I love what she says about creating dance songs that aren't vacuous. Yeah. That was good. Here, Madonna talks about using an ABBA song in what became the first hit from the album. The other song that um, I thought, wow, this could be Madonna's anthem is Like It or Not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you feel very comfortable, have always seemed to feel very comfortable with being who you are. And this song seems to be just sort of reinforcing that. Well, I don't think I've always been comfortable with who I am. I think even people who seem to be really confident and outgoing um, have insecurities too, and I certainly have them. But I do feel like I've reached a place in my life where I can say, well, this is who I am. So, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. you can, you know, like it or not. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the single hung up. Where did the idea come from to use that ABBA song, which is not, uh, I think, in North America, it's not as well known as it no. is in Europe. No, it's not. Um, that was Stuart's idea. It works out so great. Yeah, it's fantastic. He's got a great driving rhythm. So now there became this huge life with that song hung up and the marketing behind that. How much of that were you responsible for? You mean with the Motorola commercial? Yeah, and the ringtone download. It makes so much sense with the song I know, all all of it makes sense, but honestly, it was not planned. It was all, you know, just kind of happened. And and it was uh, my manager's guy was hearing and Angela Becker there, you know, it was all their ideas. In the lyrics in that song, there's a reference for time going slowly for those who wait. And I thought, wow, that can't be Madonna talking about herself. You don't seem to wait for anything. You're no, so busy. No, but I do reference the that sort of the idea of that sense of urgency and not wasting time, not only in that song, but in Jump. Mm-hmm. I say I haven't got much. No, there's only, much, there's only so much you can learn in one place. The more that I wait, the more time that I waste. So it's there are several references to the idea that, you know, staying in one place um, is stagnating and that's you know that would probably be one of my my biggest fears in life to to not to continue to change and grow and evolve you know you have accomplished a lot what else do you want to make sure that you do accomplish well i i mean i'm i'm always working i'm a work in progress just in terms of my personal life it's it's a constant challenge to have a successful marriage and to be a good parent so you know that's going to keep me going for a long time and um and, you know, I know that there's a lot more music I want to make and, and more performing I want to do. And I'd love to direct a film, um, more children's books. I just can't imagine not doing all those things. From 2005, that's Hung Up by Madonna. This is Famous Lost Words, where we dig up long-lost interviews and play the best parts for you. Up next, the moment the Madonna interview got really awkward.
Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Still to come, Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders, plus TJ versus the VJ. Now, Christopher, we have the most Madonna moment from the Madonna interview. <laughs> well, she may not like the question, but Madonna still answers a query about her legacy. You know, there there's no doubt that you are going to be remembered and talked about for a number of different things, but what would you most like your legacy to be? Oh, dear. I hate that question. <laughs> Sorry. Well, let me put it in a different term then, make it more personal for you. When, when uh, you know... When your grandchildren talk about their grandmother, what would you like them to say? Well, my grandma was punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) And all that that implies. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) There you go. The interviewer, May Potts, hangs tough after Madonna says (laughs) that she hates that question and ends up giving a pretty good answer, even if that answer is just two words long, punk rock. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty funny. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Yeah. Tom, she talks about filtering things for her kids and what they like on her record. When you talked about your kids and and uh, and how involved they are, obviously, you know, with you know every the aspect of your life, do you bring? Did you bring this record home, for example, and, and let them hear it? and yep. get their opinions. On yep, them? yep. My kids love music. They're always playing um, music in the playroom. My son's a big fan of R and B, more hip hop, mm-hmm. and my daughter loves dance music. So. You know, I think they've got pretty good taste, and um, they were, I did play it for them a lot when I was working on it. They were, they loved Hung Up, um, I Love New York, what else, uh, Sorry, those are, I think those are their, their three favorites. With motherhood now being such, you know, a prevalent part of your life, has it really, you know, because really the whole Madonna thing is so big, it's, I would almost say it's bigger than a person in some ways. Yeah. Has motherhood liberated you from that in certain ways it's helped put things in perspective you know i mean if you don't have something real going on in your life you can let things that aren't real matter a lot um i think you know if i if if i perceive things not going my way in my career i can always say to myself oh get real you know what really matters is your children and you have you know a beautiful family and so much to be grateful and thankful for and i think it's important to have things in perspective when i've read late, lately the press has gone crazy with this little story that you mentioned somewhere about you know not letting your kids watch tv or read newspapers and mm-hmm. i had to wonder though you know i understand that you i think your comment was something a lot of what's on television is garbage but is it also just to protect them from the fact that they have celebrity parents and there's so much stuff out there that can be negative for that's them to read that's part of it yeah I think we don't have magazines and newspapers in in the house for our, for ourselves either. I don't want to read negative things about me. Neither does my husband. We just don't want it. Why, you know, what's the point? What good is it? You know what I mean? Even if you even if it doesn't bother you after 10 minutes, who wants to be bothered for 10 minutes? So, I'd rather not have it at all. So, it's par- partially for us and it's partially for them. Uh we'd rather they focus on um us just being their parents, not people that are you know written about or you know photographed all the time and often they're photographed and in magazines and newspapers and I don't want them to really have to see all that either either it's too confusing yeah so and uh when you um when you when you talk about your kids and you realize that those stories are going to be out does that bother them when they hear things back about themselves in the media um well my son doesn't really mention stuff like that my daughter every once in a while will mention something and 
I think some things bother her. I think she wants to be seen in, in her school. As, you know, she has like a sort of stock reply to people who come up to her and ask her things about me and stuff. Mm-hmm. She, you know, she's like, she just says, my mom's, my mom's a mom like anybody else. She's just my mother and, and you know, that's it. And I think yeah. she she feels very protective of me. And um, I think, you know, it's very important to them as well to protect that that aspect. Yeah. You know, to not, to... to just think of me. I, you know, she doesn't want me to belong to the world. She wants me to belong to her. Thanks so much. You're very welcome. Well, in contrast to that earlier clip, Madonna says some pretty great things in this one. She says, quote, if you don't have something real going on in your life, you can have things that aren't real matter a lot. Yeah. That's pretty smart and self-aware, I think. Yeah. And not only is Madonna fiercely protective of her kids, but her kids are very protective of her. I love that, that her daughter... She doesn't want to share her mom with the world. It's funny. I remember when we were taking my daughter to a little um, sort of sports play thing. For, for These are for toddlers, right? Right. And um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Madonna brought, well, Madonna didn't. She had the bodyguard bring Lourdes, her daughter, to the same one as my daughter went to. Oh. And they had to take all the windows and paper them all over um, into this facility. And the bodyguard had to come out with the ch- the child all wrapped up in blankets so that you know any photographers around couldn't take pictures of her. And yeah, it was quite a procedure. Oh, and, uh, that's really sad. I know. I, it did make me feel sad. Yeah, that's something. Yeah. By the way, in that interview, uh, the husband that Madonna references is Guy Ritchie. Ah. And they had been married for five years at that point and would stay together for another three. That's Madonna on Famous Lost Words. Good song, Back on the Chain Gang, 1982, Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders. Tom, an artist once said, quote, Distinctive voices in rock are trained through years of many things. Frustration, fear, loneliness, anger, insecurity, arrogance, narcissism, or just sheer perseverance. Anything but a teacher. Chrissy Hind, one of the true original voices in rock, has had an extraordinary career going back to 1978 when she formed The Pretenders, with whom she continues to release new music right up till the present time. Now, over the years, she's worked with Cher, U2, Neil Young, Stevie Nicks, Ray Davies, Annie Lennox, Cheryl Crow, Rod Stewart, Robert Plant, and many others. Tom, in 2005, The Pretenders were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Her early career featured some of the most irascible moments in interviewing, but she has mellowed while still having strong feelings about a variety of subjects, as you'll see in this interview. And the interviewer here is the wonderful Ingrid Schumacher, a tremendous broadcaster Mm -hmm. who I had the pleasure to work with for a couple of decades. And trust me when I say we have a lot of Ingrid's interviews in the archives, including an amazing chat with Carly Simon and Ingrid. But in the meantime, let's enjoy this chat with Chrissy Hind. Tom, in this first clip, Chrissy talks about working with her new band as well as how the responsibility of having kids affects that work. You had said, in, and I think in this particular interview here in Musician Magazine, that uh, you had gone at one point into a club with your previous lineup, mm-hmm. and they'd had difficulty just letting go and playing in a club kind of atmosphere and in a club kind of music. And that's what disappointed you and made you feel a lot that, you know, a change was in order for a couple of people anyway. Do you feel now with this lineup that you could go into a club anytime, like downtown here in Toronto, and and just do it? absolutely. Absolutely, without a doubt. We could go anywhere. Probably the smaller the better, you know, the guys could do anything. That's what's wonderful about it. I think other musicians must go through that 
uh, you've got a band that is playing on a really big stage and you've got an amazing light show or, you know, the production end of it is really big. And uh, maybe secretly you, you wonder if you could actually just sit on a stool with your guitar and, you know, sing convincingly enough to hold the, an audience's attention. Uh, well, from album to album, you know, one wonders. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's always nice to sort of get things down to basics and build up from a foundation, make sure the foundation's always really strong, solid. And especially perhaps for you from album to album, things uh, look a, a bit different now and again because you're a mother too and have, have two little kids at home to take care of. And um, having a child myself, I know that it's not always conducive to work environment or if you try to bring no, any kind not. of work home. And it's, and it's difficult a lot of times to even picture yourself as the working person that you were a week ago. Yeah. Well, like when we go into the studio now for rehearsal, say, I'll have to say, look, uh, we got to start at two because I want to be out of here by six so I can, you know, be home in time to at least get the kids in the bath and put them to bed. Um, you know, in, in the old days, you know, you might not start till much later than that or, you know, kind of ramble on and everyone would be in the pub at the end of the day or down at a club or something. So, I mean, I must say it's been a bit of a strain after three weeks of rehearsing, you know, and there I am at like 7.30, like sitting on my knees in front of the bathtub, you know, and I just, you know, going, transferring from that sort of rock format into that domestic thing. I felt like I was just going to lose it a few nights. But, you know, it's, I would have felt like that anyway at that point. You know, it's just the strain. Has so, having a family changed your approach to songwriting at all, do you think, even subconsciously? I think it probably has changed everything about me, like, you know, becoming a mother must do to any woman. But, you know, I'm not really aware of what the change is. For a start, I can't just, like, haul off into a corner with my guitar and do my thing when I want to, you know, because it's kind of hard to find the space sometimes. You know, there's a few things like that, but I manage somehow. Don't harass me, can't you tell? I'm going home, I'm tired as hell. I'm not the kid I used to be. I got a kid, I'm 33, baby. 1983, Chrissy Hine in The Pretender's Middle of the Road. And there she is singing about what she was just talking about. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Joking. Still, much more to come with The Pretenders. Yep, including how the world's problems can fuel an artist's music. By the way, you can catch up with more than 100 past episodes of Famous Lost Words on the iHeartRadio app or any other podcast platform. Welcome back to Famous Lost Words. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Still to come, TJ versus the VJ. But first, let's finish up our chat with the Pretenders. I've date stamped this interview at around 1986, probably promoting the Get Close album. Okay, Christopher, where are we now with Chrissy Hind? A question about influences led to a list of the world's problems, but eventually came around to what influences an artist. It seemed like in the 60s, inspiration for songwriting for a lot of people, perhaps yourself too, was what was going on at the moment, the political aspect of it, the, the new music. And, and in the 70s, to a, to a lesser degree, perhaps the music, but then again, toward the end of the 70s, the whole punk movement inspired a whole new breed of people. What do you think is inspirational, if anything, in this decade? I think... Mm, inspiration might not be the right word, uh, but there's certainly... Or important? Yeah, there's, there's, there's so many things. Things have gotten so extreme, and it, we've got, we're getting dangerously close to extinction in so many ways. I mean, we're sitting on a cake of dynamite for a start with the nuclear weapons, and I mean, it, it's all escalated. Animal slaughter is completely out of control. I mean, we, we shouldn't be slaughtering animals anyway. 
for any reason, but um, bar basic survival. Uh, we've completely abused the environment so hideously. Like I said, I don't know if the word's inspiration, but I mean, a certain element of urgency, I think, can fuel up uh, an artist at this point. That's Chrissy Hine being forthright as always. And Chrissy was one of the very first celebrities that I remember who spoke out against animal cruelty and for vegetarianism. Chrissy talks about maintaining originality. Who do you listen to? Who do you uh, admire and think that, that they're doing a worthwhile job? Uh, well, actually, I don't listen to much. I haven't been because I've been just busy writing and doing my own thing. You get kind of insulated, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of contemporary. Most, most stuff now is so derivative. And I think probably that's what listeners are used to. And that's, you know, what, what's normal for now. I, I'm so firmly rooted in the 60s when, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was derivative then as well. But um, uh, at least it was the first time that it was derivative. Yeah, it was like, a, you know, I- innovative. Like maybe Jimi Hendrix had listened to Albert King a lot, but Albert King wasn't taking acid, you know, but, um, or he might have been, been. you know, (laughs) I don't know, but not, I don't think as much as Jimi Hendrix was, but, uh, you know, there was just a, it's kind of all played out now. There's not too much you can do. You can still have that original voice and you can still be fresh and you can still be soulful and you can still be emotional and there can be some truth or something can come through the music. Well, then that must be a really difficult feeling to have when you're a songwriter like yourself and go into the studio. Do you ever feel like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I've heard this somewhere. I think maybe I've heard this. This sounds sort of familiar to me. Or have I just, have I just thought this out? Yeah, no, it does happen, actually. And does the band or, or would someone ever say to you, you know, has it ever happened? Well, you know, half the time when I listen to records, I think, what does that sound like? And, you know, yeah. I'll think about it for a while, and it does sound very similar to something else. But I don't think that you can get too worried about that. I mean, I certainly have never gone home and like listened to a record and thought, mm, maybe if I just change the middle eight you know, and move this over, I can have that for myself. Somebody would be seeing you in court, I guess. Yeah, but case. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people thought that uh, the song Brass and Pocket sounded like this one by Argent, Hold Your Head Up, I think it was called. Whereas, I mean, I could kind of see what they meant, but I don't think it was, or what, what was the other plagiarism one, the really famous one, um, My Sweet Lord and uh, oh, right. He's So yeah, Fine. Oh, right, He's So Fine, yeah. I mean, I yeah. thought that was far-fetched myself. I thought but. it was, too, and he lost that case, which I thought was really amazing. Pitiful. Yeah, that's that's for certain. I mean, it's just silly. It's petty. petty. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's money, isn't it? It's all in the name of money. Somewhere. Yeah, well, there you go. I can't explain the weird music in the background, but that clip covers a lot of ground, thankfully. Here she talks about the joy of playing in a small room. So what's been happening now with the tour? Originally, you were supposed to be visiting us in, I guess, November, middle of November. Yeah. It was B-A-D, I, think, I believe. Yeah, I think and it's going to be March when... now. I think we weren't really selling out these uh, larger halls that we've gone into. Uh-huh. I think it's something like that anyway. I'm not really sure. Record company, Mambo Jumbo. Something like that. And Whatever. I'm wait. glad because I wanted some more time. Well, for example, I can... Well, this is what I thought, because you just literally came out of the studio not long ago with this LP, and how could you possibly, you know, worked with the musicians, the new people that Mm -hmm. you've got, rehearsed with them a little bit. Yeah, that's right. And also, so often you'll be on the road, well, if you're a touring band like we are, and you've got to do a video, and like, you've got like two days to do it, and you don't have much control over what's going on, and then you've got to live with that video even long after you're off the road, so it's kind of a... It can be like a bad photograph if you don't do it carefully. Yeah. Well, we've got enough of those, too. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, it's really nice to have a little bit of breathing space anyway. Right. And will you be uh, touring with Big Audio Dynamite then at that I point, I think we too? have 
Uh, plans again? to tour with them. Yeah. 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 Well, March 19th is the, is the postponed date. So we'll be looking forward to seeing you then. And thanks a lot for, for doing this interview with us today. And it's real nice to well, meet thanks you. Thanks very much for having me. Christopher, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that you missed out on an opportunity to interview Chrissy and having heard the one that we just played, I can see why you would have regretted missing out on that one. Great chat with Ingrid. So you never talked to Chrissy Hind in person, Christopher, but did you ever see her live? I saw her at the Roxy. I saw the Pretenders play the Roxy. And yeah. that, I mean, it's a small room. It's like I was as close to her as you and I are. Is that yeah. in L.A.? Yeah, part on the Sunset Strip. It's one right. of those. She's just an amazing performer, great vocalist, and just such an original. I, I love her music. Yeah, me too. She's so good. And, you know, the range of music, everything from Brass and Pocket to um, Middle of the Road to Back on the Chain Gang. 2,000 Miles. 2,000 Miles. I'll Stand By You, which was 1994, I think. So that's a long stretch of making hit songs. Yeah. And then all the changes that she went through with the band, including the death of two of the original members. Yeah. And she still hung in there and fought hard and uh, is just a great artist. Like her, her legacy speaks for itself. That's Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders on Famous Lost Words. I might be moving to Montana soon Just to raise me up a crop of dental floss Okay, what is that? That, That's that's a song called Montana Mm -hmm. by Frank Zappa from his 1973 album, Overnight Sensation. You told me to play that. Why am I playing that, Christopher? (laughs) Because I love it, that's why. And you're just, you're being kind to your co-host. Yeah. Tom, I, I never dreamed that I'd be able to say these words in the same sentence. Are you ready? Yeah. On this edition of Famous Lost Words, we have an interview with Frank Zappa. There, I've said it. Okay. Boy, it sounds good, doesn't it? Here's the deal. Yeah. This is why we have Frank Zappa in. Because every (laughs) once in a while, I'll send you something like, hey, Christopher, here are these clips from Journey. Mm. And you go, okay. (laughs) So what I also do... Do I acquiesce uh, (laughs) gracefully? Sure. Uh, Well, okay, we'll stick with that. So what I do to keep you interested in the show (laughs) is every once in a while I'll go, okay, well... He really likes the birds, so I'll put the birds in there. And listen, I like the birds too. Yeah. But every once in a while, we'll throw in an artist that I really have virtually no connection to, like Graham Parker. We've run right. we've run your Graham Parker interview, which is excellent. Yeah, it was. But I just don't know him very well. And Frank Zappa, who I've only heard a few things by yeah. over the years. So I basically lure you <laughs> to keep doing this show by handing you Frank Zappa, and I'll take a trooper in return. <laughs> Zappa for Trooper. Wow, there's a schoolyard exchange. Um, there you, go. you know what? I, I'm I'm in no matter what. So right. Zappa or no. <laughs> so okay. don't don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> so Frank Zappa, um, let's let's give the man his due, aside from all the comedy here. He's one of the great iconoclasts of twentieth century popular music. He's unpredictable. He's uncategorizable, I believe that's a word, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's undeniably brilliant. Zappa is probably known by name, unfortunately, more than his creative output, um, or sadly for Valley Girl, <laughs> a parody of teens from the San Fernando Valley featuring yeah. his daughter Moon Unit. You know what? I love that song. I thought it was so fun when it came out. It is fun. Yes. But for that to be what people know of Frank Zappa, that's not fun. It's like Chuck Berry only being known for my dingling, right? You don't want that to happen. No, you don't. Um, <laughs> Zappa was an experimenter over 60 plus albums. He'd grown up, by the way, learning how to play classical music. 
Uh, his philosophy, however, was an interesting one, and it's expounded throughout his music. He was anti-religious. He was pro-freedom of speech, vociferously so, and anti-drugs, believe it or not. Wow. And his work was decidedly avant-garde. His debut release as the Mothers of Invention called Freak Out came out in 1966, and it set the satirical tone for a major part of his career. And just to show you how he got around, he hung out with various people like Captain Beefheart and the Monkees. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there was a moment where they were considering Mickey Dolenz as the drummer in the Mothers of Invention. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I think maybe they wouldn't let him out of his deal or something. So, right, yeah. right. Now, if you're new to Zappa, maybe try Hot Rats or Waka Jawaka <laughs> to see if <laughs> you'd like to dive a little speaking? bit deeper. I'm serious about this, okay? So, Hot Rats. Yeah, Hot Rats is a great record. And what? Waka Jawaka. Okay, I've been called that. I was called that in high school and people couldn't figure out how to say jokic, but okay. Oh, never thought of that. Yeah. Um, the musicianship is just consistently stellar. It's a little challenging to the everyday pop listener, but there you go. Okay, so to start this interview, Zappa talks about why he chose music as a career. I'm ill-suited to any other form of work. I used to be a busboy. I dropped a tray on an old person one time and lost my job. I was a commercial artist for a while doing greeting cards and that got boring. I worked in advertising, writing copy for the First National Bank of Ontario, California, and that was also boring. And I figured if I was going to do boring things, I might as well do stuff with Herb Cohen. So I went to the Meet Him convention. And it was all downhill from there. Great clip from Frank Zappa, and his downhill was to create some of the most unapologetically unique music ever. Tom, here the interviewer makes the mistake of asking Frank if songwriting is hard. <laughs> no, that's not hard. I mean, if that's what you do, it's like asking somebody who's a plumber, saying, what's harder, putting the handle on the toilet or the handle on the sink? Well, I can't do any of those things, put a handle on a <laughs> toilet or a sink, and I can't write music. All of them are mysteries to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we get, I think, is what is an insightful view of youth revolution. It was, for the most part, a trend or a fad that was merchandised to the kids all on Madison Avenue. Once somebody heard somebody make a complaint somewhere, they just uh, started making cruddy movies like RPM, you know, Revolutions Per Minute and all that kind of rip-off stuff. And, and most of the kids uh, who get involved in those sort of things are just doing it because it's a place to hang out. That's the basic motivation for uh, most people in that age group. The strongest force that they feel is, uh, well, it's a gregarious sort of uh, group if you look at it sociologically. They like to hang out together, and they like to have status inside of their peer group, and if somebody that they respect within their peer group is going to go on and join a march, and that person may have some scruples about it, then there'll be 10 other people who don't have scruples but are going to go there to hang out because they'll be seen, and uh, that'll be the thing to do. So there's your revolution. You know, It was a bunch of jive, but I think the present political situation is uh, serious enough, and overtly uh, it... it it answers a lot of questions people might have had in the back of their minds all along about whether or not you could really trust a government, you know, and I think that Richard Nixon has made it unbearably true and, and evident that uh, the United States government is just saturated with criminal types, you know, and he's the big one. There's Frank Zappa criticizing the people who protest the government, and then he goes on to kind of agreeing with people for criticizing the government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, he was a study in contrast. Yeah. Oh, this next one's good. <laughs> okay, I, I totally laughed out loud at this one. This is Zappa's take on nostalgia, and it is weird and wonderful. 
It was pretty easy to extrapolate that there would be a 50s revival, and there will be a 60s revival, and there will be a 70s revival. But the thing that you must watch out for, ladies and gentlemen, that the time lapse between the actual event and the nostalgia for the event will become increasingly shorter as the years go by. The time lapse between nostalgia for the 20s and the time when 20s stuff started hitting the television was about 30 years because, uh, no, a little more than that, 35, 37 years. And then uh, the 30s started coming into vogue for nostalgia um, a few years later than that and so forth. So by the time we had nostalgia for the 50s, it was a 20-year lapse. And uh, when by the time we get to nostalgia for the 70s, it may only be a 10-year lapse. And if it progresses at that rate, within 2,000 years, it will be impossible for anyone to move or make any kind of... Uh, you won't be able to make any kind of move without being nostalgic for it. You know, you'll get up in the morning, you'll shave, and then you'll be nostalgic for the stroke that took off the first part of your beard, and then eventually civilization will come to a standstill. Oh, wow. What a strange and imaginative guy Frank Zappa was. Those are great clips. I don't know a whole lot about Frank Zappa. I only know that his legacy in terms of his influence on so many other people and people who were huge fans of his, whether it was kind of his just ideology or his musicianship, um, that has lasted a very long time. Frank Zappa on Famous Last Words. Up next, Christopher and I are ready for battle. It's TJ versus the VJ. This is Famous Lost Words. I'm Tom Jokic, also known as TJ. And that's Christopher Ward, <laughs> also known as the VJ, as in the original Much Music VJ. And this is TJ versus the VJ. All right, Christopher. So you and I are basically going to try to stump each other with questions about music. Do you want to start? I do. Tom, in light of the recent release of the remixed version of the Beatles' greatest album, Revolver. <laughs> right? It's only appropriate that at least a few questions touch on that subject, okay? Right. I would say that of my favorite Beatles albums, that's probably number two behind Abbey Road. Great stuff, a great album. All right, Tom. So just as perhaps the Beatles' greatest double-sided single, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever, could have been included on Sgt. Pepper, there was an amazing single that also could have been included on Revolver. What was that single? Okay. Give me one of the songs. Rain. Lady Madonna. Paperback Writer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Paperback Writer was number one on Billboard for two non-consecutive weeks. Oh. This is a tough one. This is a tough. What song interrupted the streak? <laughs> oh, for God's sake, Christopher. Okay. Okay, I'm going to Well, you know to... what? I've, I've, I've lost handily at this so many times. I had to bring my, my A game to this. Yes, absolutely. What interrupted it was uh, Strangers in the Night by Frank Sinatra. <laughs> oh, okay. Hey, now this one I think you're going to have a good shot at. It was around this time that John Lennon started adding wacky background parts. And Paperback Writer was one of the best examples. Do you remember what he did? Was it the background vocals of, with Frere Jaca? Yes, sir. Oh. Ding. Oh, wow. All right. I got that one. Yeah, Excellent. you're right. Now, when they started recording Revolver, what was the first song they started recording with? Taxman. Nope. Tomorrow Never Knows. Oh, you know what? I did know that. What, what an odd choice, though, huh? It really is an odd choice, but it kind of set the stage for all the experimentation that was going to follow both on that album and on Sgt. Pepper with the tape loops and the drums and the well, backwards guitar and everything. It was amazing. Well, apropos, 
Apropos of that, during his live interview on Much Music, George Harrison told the story of the creation of Tomorrow Never Knows. But in that interview, he made one big error. What was it? He said it was on Rubber Soul. Yes. Oh, wow. Way to go. <laughs> I <Yeah>. remembered. <laughs> <Ding>. <laughs> okay. Now, I think you have a few more questions, but I'm going to jump in here with a few of my own, okay? Please, yeah. What band got their name when two of the brothers in the band looked at the back of their sister's sewing machine? Oh, man. Now, that's as obscure as it is they come. Right. No but idea. let me, well, let me kind of aim you in the right direction. It had to do with the electrical part of the plug-in of the sister's sewing machine. Nope. <laughs> no idea. ACDC. Ah, that's good. Wow. All right. This is TJ versus the VJ. I'm TJ and he's the VJ. And I have a question for you, Christopher. Yes, please. Who said, quote, on stage, I make love to 25,000 people and then I go home alone. (laughs) She's female and we're talking late 60s. Janice? Yep, absolutely. Janice Joplin. Christopher, you are going to get this next question, no problem. You're going to get it within three seconds. I already know. Who won the Grammy no pressure. for Album of the Year in 1974, 75, and 77? Stevie Wonder? Absolutely. I had no doubt you were going to get that right. <laughs> well, Tom, by absolute wacky coincidence, I was seeing my physiotherapist this week who loves the show and loves TJ versus the VJ. And without even consulting you, I just said to him, well, why don't you be a guest questioner? And he was like all over it. He sent me a bunch of questions. The first one is in the song, You Haven't Done Nothing, who was Stevie Wonder singing about? Oh, that was uh, Richard Nixon. Yeah. Yes. I did know that. Yes. Anyway, thanks to to my physiotherapist, John Javilas, for that. Oh, John. Yes. I just want to say, uh, we did a segment for uh, about Roxy Music for John. It was his request. And just a reminder that if you follow Famous Lost Words on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, you can request for us to look up in our archives your favorite artist. And if we have clips from them that are worth airing, we will definitely air them. Yes, indeed. All right. Well... Bob Dylan's new book, The Philosophy of Modern Song, just came out, and I am so excited about this book. Dylan has been in the news lately more than you would think for a guy in his 80s who's been writing songs for more than 60 years. In May of this year, the Bob Dylan Center opened in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, there's another artist who also has a museum in Tulsa that might help to explain Dylan's choice to have his there. Who is that artist? Oh. Um, <laughs> Woody Guthrie. Oh, okay, that makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's and he's a f- folk singer first, more than a country singer. I yes. Think. And of course, on Dylan's first album, I think his only original song on his first album was called "Song for Woody." Is that correct? Mm-hmm. You are correct, sir. Yeah. Okay, Christopher, I've got uh, two more for you. Okay. All right. Okay. What former Steely Dan? And Doobie Brothers member played that great lead guitar solo on Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. Skunk Baxter? Yep, he did. That was him. Can you believe it? I did not know that. Let's have a listen to that. Let's listen to Jeff Skunk Baxter on Hot Stuff by Donna Summer. (laughs) 
from 1979, Donna Summer with Jeff Skunk Baxter on guitar and hot stuff. Isn't that funny? Okay, last question. What a great singer she was, huh? Great singer. And I love when she combined mm-hmm. rock and disco. All right, Christopher, last one. I thought I'd bring a little bit of Canadian content into this, okay? Okay. What Toronto singer started out on the TV show Tiny Talent Time. And if you're from Ontario in Canada, yes. you'll remember that show. It's still on, by the way. <laughs> Sang back up for Celine Dion, had a number two billboard hit in 1998, and I believe it was a number one R&B hit that same year. Has performed lead roles on Broadway in Aida and played the Whitney Houston role in the North American touring version of the musical The Bodyguard. Good heavens. What a resume. Yeah. <laughs> and I completely have zero idea who we're talking about. Deborah Cox. Deborah Cox. Wow. She's such a talented singer. She really is. She really is. And I got you with that one. And she's still around doing amazing work. And boy, can she belt it out. But she had a couple of really catchy songs out in the 90s. I think there was one called Who Do You Love? Right. And Nobody's Supposed to Be Here was that big hit in the States. And the dance remix of that song is just smoking. So there you go. Deborah Cox, I fooled you. Okay, I'm going to give you one more uh, just to see if you can we can cleanse the palate with a win here, okay? <laughs> okay, one bonus. Okay. What musician is generally considered the catalyst for the formation of Toto? Who handpicked the musicians for his album, and most of the guys he chose eventually formed Toto? And that's kind of the first time they all played together. Buzz Skaggs. Yes, absolutely. Well done. Yay! Good one, Christopher. Out of the fire. And into the annals of rock and roll history. Okay. TJ versus the VJ on Famous Lost Words. That's a wrap for this week. Our executive producer is Sarah Cummings. I'm Christopher Ward with Tom Jokic. Famous Lost Words is heard on radio stations across the country and as a podcast around the world. Check out past episodes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast platform. 